Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Genesis chapter 17, before I begin to read it, I uh, did a little research on how many promises that there are in the Word of God. I came up with somebody... I'm assuming this is correct. I, I did not totally verify this, but eight thousand eight hundred and ten promises in the Word of God. Now, not all of those are promises from God to mankind, but seven thousand four hundred eighty-seven of that eighty-eight ten is promises from God to humanity, either an individual or group or generation to generation. So I did the math on that and turns out that 84.98% of the promises that are in the Word of God are promises that God gave to you and me, to humanity. That's a lot of promises, isn't it? And he's never broken a single one. I've had promises that were made that were not fulfilled. And so I, I believe that, you know, a lot of times there are people that come in from backgrounds of abuse, backgrounds where their relationship with their their father that was not so good bleeds over into the way that they, they think about God as their heavenly father. They have to get past that sometimes. Fortunately for me, I had a, a wonderful earthly father. And so it was not difficult for me to understand and comprehend how God could love me because I saw the love of God through my earthly father. I saw how my earthly father took care of me and he provided and protected and all these things. So it was not a foreign concept to me, but for some it is. And the problem with that is sometimes we take our experiences with mankind and it bleeds over into our thought process of how God works. I've come to try to help us out today with a word that the Lord has given me to try to help you understand that God will never fail you. There may be delay that you deal with. There may be circumstances that stand between you and his promises. But God will fulfill everything he said he would do. Genesis chapter 17, verse 15. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai, thy thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yes, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people shall be of her. (laughs) What an incredible promise. I'm just happy my wife gave birth to three children that had 10 fingers and 10 toes. (laughs) They began to cry when they got that first swat on the backside and breathed their first breath of earthly air. I was thrilled with that. Here, Abram, is being promised by God that his wife, Sarah, 
was going to birth kings, nations. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. I want to take you back to the very beginning of what has become one of the world's oldest and longest running battles. <laughs> Problems that we still suffer with as a world today, nations suffer between the problem between these two nations. It all began right here because somebody stepped in and tried to fix and hurry and rush a promise from God instead of trusting that God's process would fulfill every need that they had. I simply want to preach today the miracle and the mistake. The miracle and the mistake. You may be seated today. If you read the scriptures leading up to what we read this morning, you'll find God making promises to um, but you'll also see where doubt stepped in and tried to help God out, so to speak. Uh, anybody here ever been guilty of trying to help God out? God, I know what you said, but I know what I see. And what I see doesn't match up with what you said. Oftentimes, God does not have the same timeline as what we have. And so in our humanness, in our impatience, oftentimes we try to rush God's progress, God's promise. There's one thing that we're not very good at as a human race, especially these days, it's, it's patience. And we're not very good at patience. Uh, you know, people, somebody said one time, you know, God, give me patience and give it to me right now. That's not really the way things work, right? God will oftentimes send circumstances in our lives to create patience, to force us to be patient. We're not very good in that area of our life. We're not very good in that arena of humanity. Good things come to those who wait, somebody once said, but oftentimes we suffer the pain that impatience inflicts upon our lives because we try to take a shortcut to God's plan. I remember a message I preached years ago, there are no shortcuts to God, about how when Israel was separated, 10 tribes and two tribes, uh, one, of the, one of the tribes decided they would set up different places to come to worship. One was so far away from where they were supposed to go, and the other ones was closer, but neither one of them was God's plan. There is no shortcut to God's plan for your life. God's promises are yea, and they are amen. They will come to pass, but oftentimes God does not take you the most direct route to get you there. Mistakes. Mistake is a fault in understanding, perception, interpretation, an idea, answer, or act that is wrong. 
an error. That's what a mistake is. A miracle is an event or action that apparently contradicts scientific laws and is hence thought to be due to supernatural causes. A miracle is an act of God or a remarkable event. Now, I've been witness to a handful of miracles in my life. We've seen them in this church. If I were to ask if you've ever experienced a miracle, no doubt there would be several that would stand up. Yes, I experienced a miracle. I've seen personally with my own eyes some very specific miracles that I could go on and tell you about here this morning, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to do that. But I, I would say very generously in my estimation, I have been a part of uh, of seeing uh, no more than probably 12 to 15 notable miracles in my 56 years on this earth. Now, that may seem like quite a few miracles, but in, in the whole scheme of things, 56 years, really, that's, that, that's not very many that I have actually witnessed with my own eyes. Now, mistakes, on the other hand, they come in six packs or 12 packs or, or the whole case, 24 at a time. You can get those uh, by the hour if you want to. Mistakes are readily available. I can find mistakes around every corner, hiding under every bush, uh, under, every, uh, 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 under every blanket, under every quilt, under every pillow. I can find mistakes everywhere I look, but miracles are not so evident. Miracles are few and far between. Mistakes aren't rare. You don't have to pray for a mistake. God, help me today to make at least three mistakes just to, just to, just to, just to know what it feels like to make mistakes. You don't have to pray to make mistakes. You have to pray not to make mistakes, right? Mistakes come naturally in our fallen form. Abraham found, him, found himself involved in in a famine. Genesis chapter 12, we go back just a few chapters here. Verse 10, there was a famine in the land and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, to live there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Uh, you know, you got to eat, you got to have food, uh, but th there's there's got to be more than one place that you can go to to find food. And yet we find in Genesis 12 that when famine hit the land that Abraham goes down into Egypt. He went down to Egypt, and Egypt, as we know, is always a typology of the world. It was a world, it was the world that Abraham retreated to during a time of famine. I thought about this, and I thought, God, are you giving us a warning here? Is there, is there something that we need to see or know about this. And the thought came to me that it is never appropriate, it is never the right thing to do when you are finding yourself in a spiritual famine, a, a spiritual dry place. It is never in your spirit's best interest to go down and seek food from the world. Stay away from Egypt. Stay away from worldly things because they will fill your stomach. They will fill your spirit, but it will not be with things that edify God in your life. And yet you will find that Abraham picks up, takes his family, and goes down to Egypt looking for something to fill his belly. 
I've lived this life long enough to know that there are times in life where you go through dry places. You walk through valleys of shadows of death. You go through some dark times in life and you go through some times where you pray and it doesn't feel like you can really get anywhere with God. It's, it, 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 you, you're, you're looking for that, that, that time uh, that you had in the past where, where you and God just seemed to, you just clicked. All you had to do was think the name Jesus and you felt the Holy Ghost all over you. But now you're in a place and in a time where you're going through a dark patch and you can't seem to feel him and you can't seem to hear from him. and It just seems like it's gone cold and dark. Can I admonish somebody here today, never head to Egypt thinking that you're going to be better off. Don't birth a mistake while God is working on giving you the miracle that he has promised you. Be patient. Trust in God. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. You may be in a trial. You may be in a test, but you hang on to God because his promises will come to pass in your life if you just remain faithful in your walk with him. He's in Egypt, and it's in Egypt that the wheels of the mistake that's to come begins to, begins to turn. The motion has been started. Now, he doesn't see it. He doesn't see it until later, but he doesn't realize. Because Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid. The Bible describes where this handmaid came from. It says she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Now, where do you think they picked up Hagar? Time had passed. Famine's passed. Everybody's eating good. Abram's doing well. His flocks, man, they're, they're, he's a wealthy man now. They're not hungry anymore. They're not living in Egypt anymore, but, but here's the problem. They brought some of Egypt with them when they went back home. That's the problem with visiting Egypt. That's the problem with eating down in Egypt. You always tend to bring a, bring a little bit home with you. Hear me. Be careful where you get fed. Be careful whose table you're sitting at. Be careful where the food is coming from, the spiritual food, because there are spirits out there, and not everything that sends tingles down your spine is from God. There are voices out there, and not every voice you hear is the voice of God. You better try the spirits. Amen. The word of God says, my sheep know the sound of their shepherd's voice. You better know the shepherd's voice good enough to know when he's speaking to you and when it's another voice speaking to you. You better be able to compare everything with the word of God and take it to the word of God. And if it doesn't match up with the word of God, you better toss that out with the window. Time passed, famine passed, Abraham's doing good. 
Still no promised son, no, no promise, no miracles is in his uh, in the crib back in the in the bedroom. He's still uh, unfulfilled, and they picked up picked up a little something that they brought home, and now Sarah, she's having thoughts here. She's getting a little anxious. There's one thing I've noticed with a lot of people. It's how time has a way of wearing down our faith in the promises of God. We are um, impatient. We don't like to rest. (laughs) One of the best things he said today, and it was all good, but one of the best things he said was if you don't get rest where you're supposed to, you'll try to find rest where you're not supposed to. This message is kind of going along the same same vein here. We 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 better slow ourselves down enough to stay patient with God's plan for our life. Time has a way of wearing down that faith. <clears throat> Abraham and Sarah, I, I see her looking at him. You know, you know, honey, you mind being honey today? Okay. You know, honey, she says, I, I know what God told you, but we ain't no spring chickens anymore. Uh, you do realize how old you are? And how old I am. I'm younger than you. She reminded him of that. The word of God lets us know that he married a younger woman. She was younger than him. She, she probably told God, I want this in the records. I want to know that, that I'm 10 years younger than he is. But we're really not of the age where this can even happen. This is not even feasible at this point. It's bad enough that I was barren in my younger years, but now I'm barren for an entirely different reason. It's like the last nail was hammered in the coffin of childbirth. Time slipped by, and God's not done anything about our situation. What he's living with, he's living with a woman that has some bitterness I believe that he loved her. I believe that he tried to do everything that he could. Might have been part of the reason why he was so successful. He had tried to give her everything that her heart could desire. The only thing that he could not provide for her was her own child. He was wealthy. He'd even given her a handmaiden. He'd make sure she survived the famine. He, he had all the flocks. Every, he had respect. She had respect. He had given her everything that he could possibly give her, and yet he still had an unfulfilled wife on his hands. And in a moment of doubt, Abraham and Sarah decided, you know what, let's do this our way. Let's take matters into our own hands. So Sarah provided Abraham with her handmaid, Hagar, and a son is conceived. Well, we got things our own way. We figured this out on our own. We made this happen on our own. He thought, now, surely she'll be appeased. Everything will be 
better than it was. We have a son. We have a, an heir. We can make things happen. God can still fulfill the, the seed. We figured this out for God because he couldn't figure it out on his own. We had to do things our own way. Ishmael is born. He's born because Abraham and Sarah thought it best to interject Egypt into the equation. Never a good idea. Your answer is not in the world. Your answer is never by taking something that the world has to offer. I don't care how good it seems to fit at the moment. There is always going to be a problem with taking what the world has to offer and substituting it for what God has promised you. The son is born, Ishmael. It didn't take long for Abraham to realize this might not have been the best idea. The home that used to run smoothly, even though Sarah was, you know, she was upset, always longing for a child, wanted to have an heir for her husband. At least things had run smoothly. There was no problem between Sarah and Hagar. Hagar was there to help her. Uh, Hagar was there to, to, to help her get dressed and help her with the food. Whatever she needed, she was there for Sarah. And now here all of a sudden we have tension in the home that wasn't there before. It's not fixed anything. It's made matters worse. The messes that we make when we replace a miracle with a mistake. <laughs> Abraham's 86 years old when Ishmael is born. Now, I, <laughs> I'm 56 years old. He's got 30 years on me. And, and I'm telling you what, we have our grandchildren over to our house and we are wore out by the end of the day. Add another 30 years of my life. It ain't happening, friends. It ain't happening. He's 86 years old when Ishmael is born. And after four years of living in this house with Sarah, Hagar, and a new baby, I can just imagine where Abraham is at. He's at the end of his rope, and he's hanging on just by a thread. He's not just in this The dude is old, all right? So we get a little old, we get a little set in our ways, we get a little cantankerous, we like things done a certain way, and all of a sudden you add a newborn baby into the mix. That is not an equation for a peaceful way to end your life. I mean, you may want to end your life. So at 90, God steps in and has this little chat with Abraham, and he says, okay, let me, let's go back to where this all began. Do you remember the promise that I made you that your wife, Sarah, was going to have a son and that son was going to birth nations? It was going to be the beginning of something beautiful and I was going to bless these. Do you remember that? And Abraham says, oh, yes, I, I remember that promise, but that's been a long time ago. And God said, well, I've just come to tell you, I've not forgotten that promise. I still stand on that promise. That is still going to happen. That's still the plan. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what your reality seems like. I have a plan, and that plan will be fulfilled. Can you understand that, Abraham? And a covenant is renewed. It's renewed. Don't forget the promise. 
So Sarah gets pregnant that next day, no. A week later, no. That, that same year, no. No. Ten more years go by. Ten. That's a long time to wait for anything. Ten more, especially after you've already been waiting. And every year that goes by, another birthday rolls around. I can see Sarah rolling her eyes. I can see Abraham over there going, oh, no, it's going to be a bad day today. She's thinking about it. It's another reminder of what God has not done. The day finally came when the promise became the reality. These two people that waited, he's 100 years old, for crying out loud. Sarah's 90. And you didn't have to ask them twice if they needed the rocking chair to sit down and rock the baby. They were already sitting in the rocking chair. A baby at 90. A baby at 100. But it is a promise that has been fulfilled. Just when Abraham thought, finally, we might have some peace in this house. Now that Sarah has her own child. Nope. Nope, it's not to be. I know what's in his mind. He's thinking, finally, she'll be satisfied. Finally, she won't harbor this bitterness towards Hagar. Finally, some of the tension in the house is going to go away. Ishmael, you know, he, he's going to do his thing. But we have our promised child. God fulfilled it. Everything should start to calm down. Everything should begin to settle. But that's not the way things worked out. Now he's living with two women that don't like each other, a newborn and a teenager with an attitude towards his younger half-brother. Put that mixture, that combo together and see what you come up with. Disaster. Stir it all up and what do you pour out? A big fat mess, that's what you get. I mean, you got a newborn, you got to do everything for him. You got a teenager that thinks that, that they know everything there is to know about life. And they've got a handle on everything, and they don't have to listen to you at all. You got a miracle, and you've got a mistake under the same roof. And the mistake is not going to go away quietly. The mistake's going to mouth off. The mistake's going to remind you. He's going to be resentful, he's going to bring up the past. Last fall, finally, the last straw finally comes when Sarah catches Ishmael mocking Isaac. Look it up. They had managed to cohabitate for all of these years until Sarah walks in and sees Ishmael. <laughs> you think you're better than I am. I'll show you better. Slaps him on the back of the head, pushes him down, whatever. Makes fun of him, mocks him. He's being cruel to this promise. He's being cruel to the fulfillment of God in Sarah and Abraham's life. She realizes something. I can no longer tolerate 
the mistake living under the same roof as the promise. And she looks at Abraham and she says, I'm serving an eviction notice here. Just want you to know. They got to go. Abraham really was going to be the father of a great nation. In spite of his mistake, but there was some pain that was coming with it. Abraham really was going to possess the land of Canaan in the future in spite of the mistake that he had made. Abraham found the earlier relationship that he had enjoyed with God in the past. In spite of this long-standing mistake that he had made where he and his wife thought that they were going to help God along, where they were going to figure it out, where they were smarter than he was, where they figured that he did not have the power to do what he had promised, all of a sudden they find that God's promises truly do come to pass. And they are on their way. Mistake behind them. Listen to me this morning. Maybe you relate to this message a little more than you'd like to admit. I'm not asking anybody to raise their hands because I know that probably every hand in this place would go up. But I'm quite certain that we've got a multitude of mistakes amongst us. We started talking about everything that we've done and tried to figure out and tried to work our way through and try to handle for God or when we got too impatient to, to know what God was going to say or uh, we got too impatient to, to wait for him to say it. We just decided we we're going to take matters into our own hands. Who among us has not ever made that kind of mistake? I would have to say probably not a single one. For we've all been in the same situation that, Mo, that Abraham and Sarah found themselves in. Maybe you've had some Ishmael moments and they haunt you. And you're living in a life full of tension and chaos. And the very thing that you thought was the answer to your problem and would solve your situation has come back to haunt you. It's caused chaos and confusion and turmoil in your life. Can I tell you where things turned around? They turned around when Abraham had another talk with God. And he come to the conclusion that God would fulfill his promise. And he sat back and he began to wait. He still had to deal with his mistake. He still had to suffer. He still had to go through some things. In the end, I believe that his heart, part of his heart was breaking for what he had to do. Our music would come today. I'm telling you, you are as close to getting turned around as you are willing to have a set-down, heart-to-heart discussion with God. 
when you find yourself in a place of confusion and doubt, when you find yourself in a place where you begin to take matters into your own hands and feel like, I'm just going to pound this square peg into this round hole. I'm going to make this thing fit. And God's standing back there with the perfect solution, waiting for the perfect time. Has God fulfilled his promise through Isaac? I would have to say yes. There's a nation on this earth that has blessed this earth abundantly. Still thriving today, still being a blessing. Maybe you've come to the point where you think you're just going to have to live with a mistake under your roof, and God has come to tell somebody, you need to have a talk with me, and there needs to be an eviction notice placed on the front door of your spiritual home. I says, it's time for some things to move out. Would you stand with me today? Personal revival can still come in spite of your mistakes. Second Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Now that sounds pretty good to me when I've worn out my way of doing things. When my way of doing things has left me destitute, bruised and battered, old things being stripped away and all things becoming new sounds pretty good to me. Anybody remember Reader's Digest? Anybody still get Reader's Digest? I don't even know if they still have it out there anymore. Okay, we still got a few. used to love Reader's Digest. I like the little short stories, some of the comics that are in there. I always had a great story, but there was a story in a Reader's Digest. It's called The Mystery of the Stone. It goes like this. There was something furtive about the way the little old man rummaged around in the trunk of his car. He captured the attention. He cast a nervous glance over his shoulder and lifted out something heavy wrapped in cloth. His unexpected arrival had broken the stillness of the horizon in the Blue Mesa in Arizona's petrified forest. He labored across the road and out into the desert, moving with difficulty, stopping now and then to catch his breath. He continued on until he reached the hump of a small hill that formed the lower edge of the Blue Mesa. He calculated the slope, then hefted his burden and started down once again. Once he had gained the bottom, he walked perhaps 10 yards further to the edge of a small gully, knelt in the dirt, gently unwrapped his bundle. A piece of petrified wood tumbled out. It appeared to be about 15 pounds, a splintered chunk, 
from the base of a tree looking astonishingly wooden, although it had turned to stone so long ago. It glittered with crystals and gleamed green and red and blue from the smooth jasper that had filled in the living tree's living cells. The old man bent down and touched the stone and then lifted his eyes toward the sunset, sat motionless for a long time. It was at that point that he began the story. I had to bring it back, he said, answering an unspoken question. I found it 60 years ago. I took it when I was 13. My brother and I plotted and planned and took it when our father wasn't watching. My father was upset when he found it, but we were back in New York by then. He'd carried that rock his entire life, always struggling with the conscious of returning it. He had vowed to return it to the desert who had once harbored the treasure. The guilty twinge had persisted in his life all these years. Valuable? Yes. But who would buy the mistake? He knew that if he sold it, his conscience would never let him rest. But finally, the stone was back on the slope that he had remembered. In the deepening twilight, there was a faint smile on the old man's face. A traveler finally experiencing relief within sight of the end of the journey. I thought, what a beautiful way to end this sermon today. For how many of us are carrying around heavy weights, dragging it through life, knowing that somewhere along the way we picked this thing up that we were never supposed to have in the first place. Maybe you've made the mistake a long time ago and you've carried it on your conscience and you've felt the sting of the guilt as you've walked with it and you've kept it hidden for years. It's time to bring it home. Would you bow your heads today? Don't let your mistakes, don't let your mistakes block your miracle. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.